there, listener, and thanks for joining me for episode 188 of the Ski Podcast. My name is Ian Martin, and this episode is our National Snow Week special. Uh, regular listeners will know I'm normally joined by two or three guests, but today you're going to hear a lot of different voices. And that's because it's been a very busy time in the world of snow sports in the UK. The inaugural National Snow Week has just finished. We had consumer shows in Birmingham and London bookending the week, and in the middle, in between, the trade networking event Listex. Now, I love these events because it's a chance to catch up with a lot of people I know in the industry. Also, because I love the buzz of seeing Britain's skiers and snowboarders booking holidays, buying kits, and generally getting excited about the winter. I thought it was a great week, and in this episode, you'll hear from world champions, get an insight into the latest trends, and there's also some big news about next year's National Snow Week. First, there's a couple of news items to cover. Regular listeners will know the Ski Podcast was shortlisted as a finalist in the Best Broadcast Programme category at the 2023 Travel Media Awards. Well, on Monday this week, the travel industry put on their best togs, gathered at the Savoy Hotel in London to celebrate the winners. And sadly, I have to inform you that the Ski Podcast lost out to the BBC, who have won this category for the sixth time in the last eight years. I guess the fact that six people went up to collect their awards says you all... You need to know about the contrast in scale between the Ski Podcast and the BBC. So it was a it was a great honour simply to be selected as a finalist. By the way, long-term listeners will be delighted to know that Sam Haddad, who featured in our Snowboard special episode, won the award for Best Sustainability Feature. So well done, Sam. Brilliant work. And I'll put a link to that article in the show notes. Secondly, don't forget that you can save money when you book your ski hire this winter by using the code SKIPODCAST at insportrent.com. Uh, regular listeners will know I always use InSupport Ski Hire when I'm in the Alps. It saves me having to carry my skis around with me, which is a bonus as I normally travel by train. But even if I was flying, I would still hire because ski carriage costs so much these days. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, then please remember to book your ski hire with InterSport and use the code Ski Podcast at the checkout. It will save you money. Uh, it's an extra 6% for French resorts and then a guaranteed variable discount for Austria and Switzerland. And if you do, it will help to keep this, the podcast going. And if you do, it will help to keep the podcast going. Right, that's enough from me. Let's have a listen to some of the people I spoke to in the last week. Pretty much all of them are featured on the podcast at some point. So check the show notes if you'd like to hear more from them. And let's start with Tim Warwood, who told me about his question of snow quiz that he was holding at the ski shows. One of the things I love about these shows is you get to meet people in real life. I'm, I'm here with uh, Tim Warwood uh, just now. I interviewed, I don't know, a few months ago. Hi, Tim. I R L, as the kids say. I R L, exactly. How are you doing, all right? Yeah, really good. It's good. brilliant uh, to be here. Now, uh, there's so many things going on at the show, but I know a little bit later on today you're doing a question of snow. Yes. So, um, Emily Hughes and. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, what was the original? Sue Barker took on... Um, David Vine did the original, didn't he? And then Sue Barker... There you go. So you're on. stepping into big shoes there. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to call it a question for dorks. <laughs> it kind of sounds a bit more like a question of sport, but they wouldn't allow me to call it that. So. Uh, OK, who's on your panel? So a question of snow is team captains Shemi and Ed. Right. With Shemi, Jenny and Mia Brooks. Yeah. And then Ed, Billy and Scott Penman. Right. So we've got the presenters of Ski Sunday as team captains. We've got two bronze medalists and then two uh, snowboarders bringing up the rear. It's quite simply boys versus girls, who is best? OK, well, <laughs> I wouldn't even dare to the try and come up win. with an answer The, the for girls that. are going to win. Okay. You've got Ed that thinks he's really clever, but he's not. Then you've got Shemi that will just steamroller everybody. You've got 
Mia, who will get all the technical things, and Scott. Well, I don't know what Scott's going to do, but it's going to be fun. Oh, thanks, be fun. To, thanks to Mia, who I interviewed here, here last year. I now know, this is your specialist area, what a cab 14 is. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have learned something from, uh, from all of this. Amazing. Well, amazing. Maybe that will crop up. Mate, uh, well, uh, what is going to crop? Well, I can't tell you what's going to crop up. Okay. Um, but no, it should be good fun. And as ever with all of my stuff I do, it's not very serious. It's just <laughs> for fun. And uh, hopefully, cool. here's, the, here's the little tip, hopefully nobody gets their head cut off with a drone. Yeah, mm. let's hope for that. That's brilliant, Tim. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Tim mentioned Britain's newly crowned world champion Mia Brooks in our chat. I caught up with her shortly after and she revealed a secret about her gold medal. Right, here with uh, Mia Brooks uh, at the uh, National Study Show in Birmingham. And firstly, congratulations, not on becoming a world champion, you know, because lots of people managed to do that, and passing your uh, uh, GCSEs yeah. as well. Yeah. Not, uh, I'm pretty sure that nobody has done their GCSEs and become world champion in the same year, because I'm thinking I'm right, saying you're the youngest ever world champion, right? I think so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a pretty mental season, and um, yeah, looking forward to what this season brings. Yeah, for sure. Now, you did say, I've just seen you interviewed by uh, Scott and Chemi on the stage there, and there was a revelation about your medal from the World Championships. Yeah. I wonder if you want to share that one. Yeah, so as I got to the uh, airport to meet my mum and dad, I had it in my pocket, and um, Dave Ryden came out of nowhere, and he was like, oh, i just seen you won World Champs, and I was like, yeah, you've got the medal. I was like, yeah, it's in my pocket, actually, and I pulled it out, and the, the back snapped off it. And um, I just stood there like, oh, God, this is embarrassing. And he was just like, oh, it's all right. It is what it is. It still set you on more champs. And that was that. So it's fixed now. But That yeah. super glued it back together, yeah? yeah? Super, good old super glue. And now, now it's safely uh, framed somewhere, right, I should yeah. think. And um, you've just come back from Sasfe yourself where you've been uh, uh, training. How's that camp gone? Yeah, really good. It was kind of busy. Obviously, the ski racing camp's on as well. But... Um, it was good just to get the pre-season legs back in because I have my first World Cup uh, next week. Yeah, and, that's um, in Kerr, right? Yeah, Kerr. I've learned how to say that yeah, one now. Yeah, I think everyone's slowly getting there. Yeah, the that's one of those urban uh, big areas where they build like a massive yeah. jump in the middle of the town, right? Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I think last year I definitely had a different perspective on it. I was kind of nervous being my first World Cup last year. Yeah, it was your first um, ever World Cup event, right? Yeah, yeah. and um, it didn't go too well. I missed out by finals by one place, um, so this year... Even if I just make it to finals, I'll be stoked, but I'm going to look for the win. Cool, and they, so obviously last season was amazing, you know, became world champion, and then it finished off with you going out to the X Games, which happened at pretty short notice, right? Yeah, well, I actually found out about X Games this, like, today, but last year, obviously. Okay. And um, it was kept under wraps for about three months, I think it was, and got announced in December. Um and yeah, I just I think I'm gonna go again this year and definitely gonna win. Yeah, well, you were saying uh, just now that that is your ambition to to win at X Games. You've yeah. won a world championship. Uh, yeah. You know, is that is that definitely big air or is that slope style or could that be both? Uh, I think it's gonna be looking like it's both this season. Yeah. So, yeah, really hoping so. Yeah, cool. And then, uh, you know, you were too young to be able to go to the Olympics yeah. uh, in Beijing, even though, you know, you probably would have been of a standard where you could have done well. Yeah. So, therefore, that makes it Turin is the uh, next time round, Turin? Yeah, Milan. I think it's Milan Cortina, maybe. Okay, Milan Cortina, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that.
like, I think it should be a good experience. Um, obviously, I'm setting my sights on the Olympics, but um, there's a lot in between all that that I want to achieve. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, you know, I had an amazing season last year for your, uh, uh, for your debut, and uh, congratulations uh, on it all, and have a great winter this year Thank as well. Thank you. So from one world champion to another, next I spoke to Charlotte Banks, who won the mixed team snowball cross in Georgia with teammate Hugh Nightingale. Right, I'm here with uh, Charlotte Banks, uh, snowboard cross world champion in the uh, mixed team event uh, last year, 2020, or this year, 2023. Now, I'm really interested in that. I know you've you know, won many medals and, uh, across the years, but how does the strategy work for that mixed team event? I mean, yeah, we don't have the choice of who goes first or, or second. So in that way, there's no strategy. Uh, the guys go first and their aim is for sure to ride as fast as possible, but it's to stay on their feet and be as close as possible, if not in front of the three other riders. And then, yeah, that's how I see it. And then, yeah, for us, the girls, it's really, a, yeah, just go out there blazing and just get down to the bottom first. And, and just to clarify then, your mixed team partner was Hugh Nightingale, right? Yep. Uh, so had you done a lot of practice beforehand, before this event? Uh, no, the World Championships was our second event together. Uh, I mean, yeah, we ride, uh, yeah, we ride in training against each other. We ride, like, yeah, we're on, we're on the same tracks all year round, but we'd never actually, like, with our first event as a mixed the uh, team was the Olympics the year before. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, the World Championships was our second event. We yeah, uh, Gidari, I want to say, Georgia, yeah. Bakurani. Bakurani in Georgia, is yeah. that right? I've got, I've got the country right, country. at least. And so, so, you know, you'd work your way up, you got to the uh, final, Hugh goes down first, you're in the start gate waiting, and you're not released until he's crossed at the bottom. That's how it works, isn't exactly, it? Yeah. So do you have any idea of how well he's doing? So we've got a board with the time splits and I had a little view of the track but not much. But yeah, I mean he was he was up against the, the world champion from the day before and and I was seeing the time split and he was in front and I was like I was yeah, I was impressed. <laughs> is the answer. In my in my gate I was like I was really impressed and yeah, down to the bottom, last time split at the finish line he's seven hundredths behind. So for me it's we're all starting together except the Americans that crashed out and therefore they were kind of out of it. So it was we kind of, I already knew that if I didn't completely mess up, we had a medal. Yep. But at that point, I didn't think of that. I was like, I can't mess this up. He's done, he's done the hardest job. Now I need to go and win this for the whole team. And in terms of that final leg then, I mean, you know, that's a, a, just a fractional amount. Were you tucked in just behind uh, the other two or did you get a really good start and get ahead? Uh, I got a pretty decent <laughs> start, well, very decent start for my standards. And uh, I was in the battle, I think, yeah, with Chloe, uh, so the French girl, from the first turn. And I think I went inside first turn. Yeah, from like, from halfway down, I was already like in front. And I was just like, okay, now I just need to keep my speed. I had a bit of challenges on the bottom of the track as well, losing speed. So I was just like, I just need to keep pushing and I don't want them to come back on me now. Like, I, yeah, I can't, I can't let down everybody that, 
the whole team that's behind us as well. Oh, well, it was an incredibly successful World Championships from a park and pipe uh, uh, point of view. But, you know, it sounds like a dumb question because everyone asked it, but how did it feel when you crossed the line? <laughs> you need picked up gold there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was completely unexpected as well. Like, for sure, I think the day before I was going for gold and, and came out in the, in the free heat. So it was like, yeah, just tried to give... I mean, yeah, we, we were fortunate enough, I think, I saw it like that, to, to have a second event, which, yeah, it's got, it's different, and um, I didn't want redemption from the day before, I just wanted to move forwards and, and keep pushing, and yeah, I'm really happy that we got that second chance to be able to, to go for, for gold and bring it back for, for the whole team, uh, the coaches, the wax tech, everybody behind us that's working super hard, and then the whole GB snow sport, and to... Yeah, we could feel that everybody was just 100% behind us to perform. And, and it was, you know, a very successful World Championships because just on the stage behind us at the moment, we've got Mia uh, Brooks, who picked up a World Champion uh, title as well, which so it's not even your first, uh, you know, World uh, Medal, but I'm sure you still, you know, celebrated it uh, wildly as well. Yeah, no, exactly. We, we were really happy and it was just, yeah, it was just relief as well and to not, to not leave Bakuani without anything and so that was really nice and then also helped move on to to the last few World Cups with hope and just to, to go and finish the season strong. Uh, well that's brilliant Charlotte thanks very much and congratulations again to Hugh as well pass it on to him when you see Thank him. Thank you very much. As well as elite athletes, the shows were full of the latest kit. I caught up with Colin Martin from Solutions for Feet to see what his thoughts were on the new BOA fit system for ski boots. And if you're interested in finding out more about the BOA system, I had a long chat with our equipment expert, Al Morgan, in episode 187. And I'll drop a link into the show notes. So I'm here with Colin Martin. Regular listeners will know him from our Ski Boot special, which I told him earlier is our most listened to episode uh, ever. So congratulations on that, Colin. Thanks very much, Ian. I don't actually know how we managed it. You know, people obviously like listening to Tech Talk. Well, and that, that is the reason for talking to you now. I mean, I know you've been very busy on the stand today. Possibly people have uh, drifted off to watch the uh, rugby now. But one thing I was particularly interested in talking to you about was that new uh, BOA fit system for for a ski boot. So I wondered if you could tell me what you think about that. Is it a game changer? Okay, so BOA is something we were really sceptical about when we, we learned about it happening. Then we tested the product and everything is actually, it's a-okay. Four brands have got behind this. So that's a massive investment from those brands. It's millions of dollars, millions of euros investment in mold changes, in marketing the product. BOA are behind this 100%. They offer free replacement part if something should break. It's pretty bomb-proof. We have tried to break them. You can, <laughs> we've been smacking boots off tables, right. hitting them with hammers. It takes a lot to actually damage this ball. So that was a concern, maybe, it that was, it might not be as robust. Absolutely, it was a concern. It's a big lump sticking off the side of your boot. Yeah. People are still, oh, it'll, it'll, it'll never work. It's been, it's been tried on other stuff. This is a new boa. This is H plus one, hard plus one. It's a four to one gear ratio. It's a 1.7 millimeter steel wire rope with nine strands. You can hang a 250 kilogram gondola carriage from it. It's <laughs> gonna be tough to break. Okay, but it's very uh, strong then. But 
Is it, is it going to suit everybody? Is it right for all feet? No. Just like any ski boot, it's only right if the boot fits you. So most of the manufacturers, so Fisher, K2 and Salomon have chosen to put this on their 100mm, their medium volume last. In Alpine boots, K2 are doing some uh, crossover boots as well. Atomic have gone to their 98mm last on their crossover hybrid boot, the, the Hox Ultra XTD. So if the boot fits you well in the four-clip conversion or four-clip version, the boa version will fit your foot better as it wraps. Okay, and they've chosen to pick those last specifically or for any specific reason. The hundred millimeter boot, the medium volume last. That's their bread and butter. That's the, that is the boot that writes the paycheck. So it's the biggest volume selling boots out there. That's what they've chosen to go first. And is that because? There's an extra cost involved, is that what they're thinking about? Well, the cost involved is a new mould because BOA locates differently from where the buckles would locate on the traditional boot, so you need a new mould. Right. So the boot manufacturers have had to start a new project essentially with BOA to get that integrated into their boot. And is there a cost because of like the licensing with BOA as well? There is an uplift in cost, which is basically why there's not a change in cost between a four buckle and a BOA boot. It extrapolates out pretty neatly. It's not as big as people might think, but there is a cost involved, obviously. Okay, and do you think then, will it depend on what uptake is like this season as to whether they extend that, you know, further across their ranges? Uh, well, we're, this is the first season of this. We've been running the Salomon version on an early release since January. We sold through on that pretty much every size we had on time left the building. So this is year one. Year two, we know there is more boots coming from these manufacturers, and we know there are more manufacturers joining the BOA party in 25, 26. Right, okay. Okay, well, I mean, it is interesting. That Salomon one, now you explained why I went out to Zermatt in the summer, and I had a pair of, uh, uh, of Salomon boots that had the BOA uh, fix, uh, fitting uh, on it, and I wondered, because they're not meant to be released until just now, how I managed to do that. You've explained that one for me now. Uh, so both Salomon and K2 did a limited product early release. There was a few pairs of Fisher out there, a few pairs of Atomic yeah. as well, but in the actual production release, Salomon and K2. Yeah, well, you know, purely anecdotally from my point of view, I found it very comfortable around my foot. I know everybody's uh, foot is different, but it was a, you know, a, a higher boot. But it'd be really interesting to see what the consumer thinks, how many uh, items are sold and whether it does become broader. Yeah, certainly so far, the con uh, consumers are loving it in the store. We occasionally get husband and wife in and if one's got a boa boot and the other one hasn't, it's all, why haven't I got that? <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't fit you. <laughs> But it's, it's been really positive so far. Cool, that's really brilliant, positive. Colin. Thank you very much. No problem. Next up is BBC Ski Sunday presenter Ed Lee. I interviewed Ed back in February of this year, but this week I was fascinated to hear him compare the British snow sports industry to a bumblebee. I'm here at Listex uh, with uh, Ed Lee. We've just seen a really interesting presentation about planks where you're doing the uh, Q&A. But there was an, an, an analogy that you gave there that I just loved and I'd never heard it before. I wondered uh, if you wanted to tell us... Uh, yeah, um, there's a guy called Eddie Spearing, one of the godfathers of British snowboarding used to talk about this, the idea that the British snow industry is like a bumblebee. <laughs> you look at it and it, it really doesn't look like it should fly, but somehow it does. And his explanation was that it, it works because we have such inclement weather for the winter you need to buy a winter jacket but if you can buy one that works for the snow as well then 
the snow industry is going to do well. And that's, that's what underpins the it, snow it, industry. So it, it looks impossible, but it works. Yeah, on yeah. the surface. Talk to, if you talk to anyone who runs a ski apparel brand in France, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, they'd say, oh, I can't really sell it in the UK. But the reality is you get here. Especially, it worked, the analogy in the 90s for snowboarding worked perfectly because you had, at that time, you had PR girls going into the office in London in snowboard boots. <laughs> like, it was so fashionable. Everyone wanted yeah. a part of it. So if you could buy a snowboard jacket and it was your winter jacket, you were living the dream. So. That's cool. Can I ask you something else? Tord, you know Tord, uh, you know, he said, uh, said, said earlier uh, about... Um, he thought maybe the rise in skateboarding would lead to an increase in snowboarders. Do you think that that's possible or likely? Um, I don't think, weirdly, despite the physical similarities in the action, culturally they're very different. Skateboarding is something very parochial. You explore your city, your urban environment in a yeah. minute detail, very close to home. You're looking for spots. And there's a there's a reason why skateboarders are like why snowboarders are commentating on skate a lot of skate events. Yeah. Snowboarders tend to be much more extrovert. Well, skiers and snowboarders they're going out. They're much more extrovert. They're more curious. They're looking for experiences further afield. Yeah. Whereas skateboarders tend to be not exclusively, but a little more introverted, a little more parochial. You, you don't habits. think there'd be a crossover? Because like, I think the theory was, you know, because during COVID, a lot of people are taking up skateboarding and maybe not done it before, that naturally there's a, a crossover between, uh, you know, board sports, let's say. I know that you have to be careful to talk about those things. but uh, there's also within... I do both, and there's definitely a feeling within skateboarding that snowboarding is just skateboarding with uh, bindings it's easier <laughs> right. um, obviously it's not it's a lot faster but I think in places where you have like, there are very few financial barriers to getting into skateboarding yeah. it's 100, 150 pounds yeah. like, the investment when you don't really know where you're going or what you're doing, it's much more with yeah. snow. I mean, so I, I, lo I love being at the Birmingham show last weekend and seeing, like, Billy Morgan, you know, skateboarding in the, in the half-back then. The year before, Mia Brooks was doing loads of it. I don't know if she was there this she time. She was there again this year. You know, they just love hanging out in there, don't they? Yeah, oh, it's, uh, that's the thing. Like, it's, the, the physical act is very similar. But Cool. That's brilliant, Ed. Thanks. At the London show, I spoke to Tord Nielsen from the Iconic Agency about the drop in snowboard sales and whether snowboarding might still see a comeback. Right, uh, here at the London show with Tord Nielsen from the Iconic Agency. And we were actually, I was listening to a talk that you were in uh, at Listex earlier this week. And you were talking about, you know, trends in uh, equipment sales and really interesting what you had to say about snowboards. Yeah, so looking back about 20 years, um, so I guess for context, every year as the SIGB, the Snowsports Industries of Great Britain, uh, which is the trade kind of body for the uh, Snowsports Industries in the UK, we do a trade survey to understand how the market looks each year in terms of products sold um, and what is being sold generally. Um, with that, 20 years ago, um, we sold a lot of snowboards. Yep coming back now we're selling about 10% of that number um, so you can see a real decline in um, snowboard interest and 
Is that because people aren't replacing them as much or are there simply fewer snowboarders now than there were before? So there's a multiple of reasons. Uh, one is that snowboard technology hasn't moved uh, forward as much as ski technology or ski boot technology, yeah. for example. Um, the other one is it is a fashion. Um, rather than anything else, which we've realized. So uh, it got, does go in waves. Um, and then we will see an uptick now because of the interest in skateboard. So skateboard uh, really yeah. died off in the last 15 years-ish. Yeah. Um, and that's coming back up now with a surge of uh, skateboard GB doing great stuff at the Olympics. Yeah. Um, people like Sky Brown doing well, so people are being interested in it. And then this is a, the winter version of skateboarding. Right, and you think that, because I was chatting to Ed Lee the other day, he seemed less convinced that the interest in skateboarding will lead to snowboarding being a bit too different. It's very hard to know. I mean, in COVID, the number of people skateboarding went up a lot, right? Hugely. It went up hugely, that and inline skating as well. Yeah. Um, people just finding stuff to do, right? We were all kind of trying to find things to do yeah. in, uh, in COVID times. But I do think it will lead to... Um, will lead to more sales we see we already know that it is on the yeah. slow increase do, do you think with snowboarding another factor is that in that 20 year period you're talking about we've seen skis develop so much so in terms of it always used to be that it was much easier to get into the off-piste and the powder on a snowboard than it was on skis and then as they've got you know wider and fatter the skiing side of things has kind of become more more fun than it used to be yeah i think you're, you're bang on i mean you know i work for a ski brand vocal we definitely have taken technologies from the snowboard world fatter skis softer skis but also the boots have got uncomfortable yeah you know we, we all joke about ski boots being uncomfortable but yeah but go back 20 years they were really uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> whereas snowboard boots have always been really comfortable feel a bit like a hiking boot um i think all of those increases and the other thing is also that a lot of the um people who started snowboarding when they were young yeah they didn't get children it is a lot easier to do um to teach kids with skis rather than with a snowboard yeah cool that's brilliant Todd. thanks so much uh, really really interesting stuff thinking about trends guy fowles from wasteland travel had some really interesting points to make about the continual upgrade of accommodation in the alps right i'm here at listex with guy fowles from uh, wasteland travel and i was really interested in a comment that you made uh, earlier talking about the way accommodation is changing in ski resorts and you know you see so many properties being upgraded but that's not always for the best or certainly not from your point of view right no so our, our market Ian is very much that that's the student and young professional end uh, of, of the, the snow sports uh, market and they are obviously looking for affordable uh, options um, which when you've got two and three star combination changing to four star it's pricing them out of the market so so yeah that's in some resorts so does that mean that you're changing resorts or looking at different places for taking your trips yeah so um for the coming season what we've done is do a recce um over the summer looking at lesser well-known resorts um yeah. that uh, perhaps have a uh, a lower price point and actually more more affordable options. And the resorts themselves are actually very keen on attra uh, attracting us and, and bringing more customers. I'm sure, I'm sure they are. And there's something else you said that I found really interesting is, you know, on your uh, trips or your, you know, it might be the specifically the university trips, that there's a very high proportion of beginners on those trips? Yeah, so roughly 30, 35% of our customers are beginners. So yeah, high, end, high uptake. Yeah, um, so it's really important because, you know, you're bringing people into the market and, you know, with school, being limited there aren't so many options like this now absolutely yeah and 
what we do to try and appeal to that market is we offer things such as staggered payments so that actually people can work towards their ski holiday um, and, and afford it. So, yeah, cool. again, just trying to bring, bring more people in. That's great. So some interesting challenges there. Sometimes better isn't always better. And more bullish about business was Ian Brown from the Snow Centre in Hemel Hempstead. It's, such a, it's so great to be at the shows, actually meet people and catch up again. I'm here with Ian Brown from the Snow Centre. How are you going, Ian? Yeah, really good. Nice to see you. Yeah, well, I've had you on the podcast a few times before, and I recall just after I had you on the podcast a while ago, you released the news that you were buying a chill factory, acquiring chill factory in Manchester as well. And that was back in March 2021. You know, that was quite a bold move, you know, post-lockdown. How's it gone over the last couple of years? Oh, really pleased, really pleased with how it's gone. You know, like you say, it was in lockdown. Nobody quite knew what was probably going to happen when, when everything reopened, but really good first summer after opening. Then you're thinking, is that pent-up demand? Is that, you know, due to closure? But the momentum's continued to build, and we had a great 22. We've had a great year this year, particularly the summer, surprisingly. Yeah. And bookings are looking really good for this winter season as well. Okay. So. Well, would you would you share how much numbers went up by uh, you know, in the in the two uh, venues? I mean, I mean double-digit growth across both sides yeah. each year. Um, okay. It's quite significant. Yeah, you know, we're not just talking a, a little bit. We're talking you know 10, 15 percent growth year on year. Okay. And you know, obviously your energy costs are, are, are pretty high. Has that affected things at all? Yeah. We we, we had a tough 12 months uh, coming out of contract. You know, to put it into context, it was five times uh, the unit price to what we have been paying we're in a much better place now the sort of peak was probably six seven months ago so it's much lower now we're still probably paying twice what it was back in the day and it's probably about the kind of level it's going to stay at going forward i would say right okay no optimism that might come back down to previous levels I'd love to think so, but let's see what happens. But yeah. on, on the plus side, you know, footfall and revenue has been really, really strong. So, you know, in terms of the future, it's looking really positive. Well, that's great. I mean, I do think that it, it, having people uh, coming in and getting the chance to ski in the UK before they go out to the mountains, and for me, that's key. They do it before, not instead of, is really uh, important. So keep up the good work, Ian. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Also positive about this winter with James Gamble from the Ski Club of Great Britain. I spoke to him about the return of ski club reps to France. Right, I'm here with James Gamble, General Manager of the Ski Club of uh, Great Britain. We're at Listex uh, today between the two ski shows. And one of the reasons I wanted to have a chat is because there's some pretty big news about ski club reps coming back to France, right? That's right, Ian. Ski Club Reps will be back in France this year in five resorts. So we've got reps back in Tien, in Valteron, in Mirabel, in Flen, and in Les Arcs. And so they join our 20-plus Swiss, Austrian, North American, Spanish, and Andorran resorts. And, you know, to me, that's really interesting because I'm guessing it was maybe 20 years ago now or something when, let's say, relations weren't quite as good as they were now. And I think even maybe like a ski club rep possibly got arrested on the slopes. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, we've had reps in France for years. I was the rep in Meribel back in the 1990s, had a fantastic season. But, yes, and a lot of people will remember back sort of 2016 around then, um, there was a lot of issues around tour operators with guides um, and then the ski club rep was effectively a guide. So they wore a jacket with branding and they took members skiing. And of course, 
it, it's become clear, really, particularly in France, but throughout Europe, that you know to organise activities on snow as a as a as a as a as a paid professional, you have to have the right qualifications. Now, our reps are volunteers, so our view back then was always our reps are volunteers, and therefore they're going skiing out with members. But the perception was because they were wearing a branded jacket and they were very much leading from the front that they were they were ski guides and not just reps. So the role of the rep has changed completely. I now see them as a club concierge. So they're there to help members meet each other. They help help there to for members to find each other to go skiing with. They'll organise social activities. They help members find restaurants. They'll help advise them on maybe where to go and get their boots sorted in resort if they need the help with that. Um, and they will go out skiing with members, but as a member of the group, as another member of the club. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. You know, I think that seems like such a long time ago uh, now. I'm sure longer term listeners will remember, you know, the days when, uh, you know, ski guides, you know, came, uh, uh, were provided by every tour operator. My for first sure. ever season was with Bladen Lines where I was a ski guide. And for all of my seasons, I ended up skiing, you know, with the clients. But equally, I understand, uh, you know, how ultimately, uh, let's say, legislation and you might call it health and safety yep. kind of caught up with that. But that's great news that the uh, reps are back in France. Did it take yep. a lot of negotiation? to make that happen? I, I would say it took a lot of conversation. I think really it was about, you know, explaining the fact that the role of the rep has changed. You know, as, as you've said, we completely understand that, that it's ski professionals that are guiding on the mountain. We work with instructors and mountain guides all over the world, including France. We have the instructor-led guiding service that we run with New Generation Ski School. And, and you know, very often our reps are organising days out with mountain guides and instructors. I used to do the same. Um, so really it was more about those conversations to, to make sure that they understood what the role of the rep was. Left. And the, the new gen uh, partnership mm. still exists in other resorts in Yeah, France, no, it so. does. So we're still running that because that is, as we, we call it at the moment, instructor-led guiding. We will be uh, refreshing that. It's more of an experience, really, but it's an ability for members to go out skiing with an instructor. It's not a kind of formal lesson. It's more kind of experience day. So, you know, often going off-piste. You know, they will work on technique, but it's more about getting that yeah. experience. And for the resorts, the five resorts where you have got uh, reps there, they will ski with members of the club. But as members, will they be wearing uniform? No, they won't. So they're just uh, they're just any other member of the club. You know, I think if everybody who was a member of the club was wearing a branded ski club jacket, that's probably fine because then they're all <laughs> members of the club. But, yeah. you know, that's not going to happen. And so, yeah, the, the, the rep is just a, a, another member of the club. We're working closely as well in resorts with, again, people like the ESF. So to do some kind of introductory day, particularly places like the Three Valleys where obviously you know a lot of the the reason that members want to go out skiing with somebody is they want to find their way around yeah excellent cool well, that's really good and you know it's another I think you know since you've come in maybe three years two and ago a, two and a bit two and a half <laughs> two and a bit years ago another one of the developments that you've added so you know well done and thanks very much James thank you very much Ian there is more good news from Dan Keeley uh, from the charity Snow Camp uh, I'm here with Dan Keeley from uh, the charity uh, Snow Camp. Hi, Dan. How are you going? Hey, Ian. Good to be here. Good to be yeah, here. Yeah, you're, you're possibly lagging a bit because now on uh, Thursday night you were uh, out in London on a on a, a very big night. Do you want to tell us what happened then? Yeah, yeah. So it's been a big couple of days. We're here at the snow show now, but Thursday evening we had our 20th anniversary ball for Snow Camp, and we raised a staggering 100,000 pounds on the night. It was pretty special to celebrate two decades of impact. That is very very impressive and uh, and great support who were who were uh, everyone apart from supporting the uh, charity who were they there to see 
Yeah, well, 280 guests in the room. We had Shemi and Graham, obviously, wonderful patrons as our hosts. They were incredible. And then Derek Redman, fantastic guest speaker. Obviously, uh, you know, his story of adversity and perseverance, overcoming challenges in your life. He was amazing, really resonated with the young people. And then uh, the stars of the show, as you all know very well, is always the young people. 20 young people on stage uh, sharing their stories from the heart. And, uh, and, uh, and of course, you know, feeding into why Dan Childish started the charity 20 years ago. Here we are. Looking forward to the next 20 years. And just, you know, remind the listener who may not have heard of it what snow camp does then. So snow camp turns young lives around with the power of snow sports. We break down barriers and broaden horizons with some of the UK's most underprivileged, uh, typically inner city young people. We support around a thousand young people every year now in uh, all over the UK. And, uh, and uh, you know, the charity just goes from strength to strength. We've got an amazing star team. The programme managers are amazing who actually do the work with the young people. Uh, but certainly for us, even on this development side, you know, we've got so many partners across the industry, so many supporters, trust foundations that have supported us for the whole journey. And, um, yeah, as we say, it's uh, looking forward to now to the next uh, 20 years of impact. Well, that's, that's fantastic, Dan. Uh, on a sort of personal note, uh, you know, regular listeners will know I like to do a bit of uh, running and I have uh, mentioned that you ran uh, earlier this year, it was, wasn't it, from London to uh, Rome. Have you recovered from that? And uh, and what's next on your list? <laughs> yeah, well, it was straight after the Snow Camp Three Valley Rally as well. So it's a really, really relentless first half of the year. But yes, we did it. You turned out to run with me from the London Eye to uh, Rome. Not all the way, day one, of course. And um, uh, what's the question? So uh, yeah. yeah, what's coming next? So I mean, obviously, this winter's going to be mega for the charity. Uh, but uh, yeah, who knows? We, I've got you know a couple of ideas in mind for the future. I tend to do these things in five-year cycles. So have a word with me in 2028. <laughs> That's brilliant, Dan. Thanks very much. It was a real pleasure to discover that Graham and Fiona from Ski Abruzzo had a stand at the show. Uh, regular listeners will remember I visited Abruzzo in February of this year, and I'll put a link to that report in the show notes. Right, I'm here with Graham Spratley from Skia Abruzzo. So nice to see you, because the last time I saw you was when I was in Abruzzo in Italy myself in uh, February. So uh, uh, welcome to uh, England. I don't know how you say that in Italian. Uh, uh, benvenuto in Inglaterra. Yeah, that's the one. That's exactly what I was thinking of. And I see that you've got a stand here at the uh, show, which is really interesting. Is that the first time you've ever had a stand for uh, Abruzzo? Uh, yes, it is, Ian. Uh, we decided to take the plunge after three somewhat disappointing winters, two because of Covid and, and one because of a deluge of rain last year, not only in Abruzzo but in other resorts, um, which delayed the start of the season. Well, fortunately, it didn't affect me because, I mean, I came out there in February half term and the snow, you know, was excellent. Like 100 kilometres apiece. People who've listened to my uh, episode about it before will know uh, all of that. But you know, during that COVID, I mean, you mentioned that. Have you got some support from the region which has helped you to exhibit here? Well, it wasn't from the region, it was from our, our local council in England. Right. It's called the Assisted Recovery Grant. Ah. And, and we hadn't spent it because of the, you know, the, the previous poor seasons. Yeah. So fingers crossed everything looks uh, set to be normal for next winter so we decided to invest in both this ski show in Birmingham and also in London at Excel. Cool that I mean that's really good well I can speak from my own personal experience of having taken my family uh, at February half term that it's really good value but I saw a flyer on the stand there uh, Fiona's got it there I, I'm trying to remember how much it was or was it 1,900 for a family of four and, yeah 1939 euros because we have to use that we yeah. have self flights for a family of four two adults two children under 12 
path board with return airport transfers. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'd be surprised if it can be beaten. I have skied in the Pyrenees at February half term as well, which is also a good value. But there you go. I personally recommend it. And uh, I'm going to be doing a, a presentation tomorrow, Ski Podcast Live off the beaten track. I'll be talking about Rocca Arazzo. Uh, so hopefully between us, We'll uh, end up with more people in the Italian Apennines and in Abruzzo uh, for next winter. Thank you, Ian, but I must stress we don't want too many. <laughs> as well as catching up with people I've interviewed before, the show is always great for the chance to meet people for the first time. I spoke to Aaron from Usk Clothing at his stand in Birmingham. Right, I'm here with uh, Aaron McLaughlin, founder of Usk. First question has got to be, what does Usk stand for? So Usk is meant to be the sound of a fist bump in ski gloves. Okay, yeah, I could just about visualise that. And we're standing by your stand right now, which is very busy. Uh, a lot of fluorescent uh, onesies going off the uh, shelves. I, I, I can't claim that I would wear one myself, but obviously they, they're increasingly popular. Yeah, I think we're bringing it back. Um, we've got a, t- a key demographic of 25 to 35 year olds. And we've actually sold to a couple of 75 year olds as well. <laughs> that. That is brilliant. They obviously remember in the old days of, uh, like, I guess, skiing in the 80s or something yeah, like that. Days. Yeah, we mentioned you in the last podcast, actually, because we we're doing a little section about uh, ski rental. And I noticed that, uh, you know, if you go to websites like Her or John Lewis, you can rent some of your uh, range. Is that, you see that becoming, uh, you know, increasingly part of the business? I think so. As the ski industry moves more towards sustainability, people are more conscious about reducing their carbon footprint. Uh, obviously, the textile industry has got quite a bad, um, like it's not perceived particularly well. So if we can do anything we can to help with that, then rental or repair, anything we can do to help it, we're doing. Yeah, and you, I think you mentioned to me before that um, you, know, you do have repair services offered for anyone who buys the goods, right? Yeah, we offer repair, repurpose, and we also give repair patches with all of our outerwear, just so people can make quick repairs at home. Yeah, well, I think that's really important. I think uh, maybe it was Patagonia or, or someone like that. I'm talking about ownership uh, is more important than uh, actual commercialisation, let's say. So that, that's great. Keep up the good work and uh, great to see you really busy here. Yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> it was interesting to hear Aaron's views on clothing rental and the increased interest in sustainability. Conversations about sustainability were a huge part of National Snow Week. I led a panel about travelling by train to ski resorts at both shows. It was really encouraging to see that both of those were really well attended. At Birmingham, it was literally standing room only. Uh, Then at Listex, I moderated a panel specifically about sustainability. And we could have filled twice the time we had available to us. There were so many questions from the room. Um, But as regular listeners know, Protect Our Winters play a big part in raising awareness and knowledge, and that is really starting to filter through in behaviour change. So let's have a listen to some of those conversations about sustainability, starting with BBC Ski Sunday presenter, Chemi Alcott. Great, I'm here with Chemi Alcott. Just had a really interesting session there, uh, talking about climate change with Protect Our Winters, and I know you're an ambassador for them. And we were chatting earlier on this week and you were telling me that it's, you know, affecting the sort of decisions that you're making in, in some of the different uh, organisations you're involved with. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to take personal responsibility and not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. And I've been very lucky in my career to host some heli ski trips and it was something that was on the agenda again for 2025. But I actually got in touch with the company saying, look, morally... Um, and ethically, I, I can't do this. I don't want to do this because yeah. I don't want to promote this message to people. But why don't we still work together and run a ski touring trip? Yeah, and that's cool. a massive <laughs> tangent for them. 
but they came back saying yes we can do this and so I just think it's about it's not about changing people's experiences in the mountains but it's about kind of detouring them on how they think they'll get there it's like a sat nav with a roadblock you're still going to get to that destination you're still going to get those amazing powder turns on those epic steeps but you're going to earn them Cool, I like that. And, and part of that is because you've been doing the carb literacy courses yeah. with power uh, as yeah. well, haven't you? You've completed that now, yeah? Yeah, so that was something that has given me the confidence to, to talk about these things. I've been passionate about them for a long time, but I didn't think I had a right to talk about it because I'm not perfect. Yeah. And that's the thing with Tech Winters. It's it's being purposeful over perfection. Like, we've just got to start making the change. And, and I am not perfect. I'm traveling a lot all the time. I don't want people to put me in a pedal stall. I just want to give people alternative ideas and I started with that when I started renting my, my stuff from EcoSki. I mean, that was my first avenue into it where I realised that I didn't have to sacrifice how fashionable I looked and actually I was making the right decision. And last winter, that was driving my EV around. This winter, it's I'm, I'm taking that snow train on the 16th of December and we're going to try and get it into Ski Sunday to show people that if we get bums on seats, the price will go down and the length of that Oh, snow I love train, what you're saying there, Jimmy. It's brilliant. I know, well, you're the reason this is back and I know you're something, someone who's really really like pitched for this over the years and I I want to show us a success because the, the schedule is limited for this winter yeah. but if we make that longer because I really believe our industry from Britain in, in March they go to that region of France that's when we need the snow train to run so yeah well uh, it's success. exactly the same message that I've been saying in the sessions about train travel I've just been saying to people in the audience if you're interested and you're thinking about it do it because then Eurostar will increase yeah. the rotations yeah. and uh, and, and increase the number of business. seats uh, yeah, exactly. as well because it's 250 this winter and it was 750 so yeah. it'll help that's brilliant Chemi thanks very right, much thank you and thanks for the snow train petition um, I was part of it with you back in the day so I'm, I'm excited to be part of it in the future cool that's great I love talking with Shemi. She has such unbelievable amounts of energy. Have a look in the show notes uh, to listen back to our behind the scenes chat about Ski Sunday earlier this year uh, next up, I spoke to Richard Sinclair from Snow Holidays about the increasing demand for ski holidays by train. Great. So uh, we're here at our Listex. Been a very interesting day. Lots of presentations been given by different people. And um, I've just managed to find a quiet corner to have a little chat with uh, Richard, who is our MD at Snow Holidays. Hi, Richard. Are you all right? Hi. Hi, Ian. Good, thanks. Yes. Yeah, good. I thought that was really interesting with the ski club because within their presentation, they said uh, they showed that around 12% of people plan to travel by train uh, this winter, which is which is quite exciting. And you were telling me that fits in with some of the observations that you've seen within the calls that you're getting. It does. I think it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've, I guess, tried to grow ski train, snow train, if you like, in previous years. And it, and it's it's definitely gained traction. But this year, it feels like an idea whose time has come. You know, I think there's much wider awareness amongst the skiing public that skiing by train is just less intensive than uh, skiing by plane. I led a panel at Birmingham uh, last week and I got one coming up at London where we've been talking about we've got the Eurostar snow train and people can obviously book that uh, individually as well. Uh, travel skier selling packages, Ingham's are selling packages, and then you have the indirect packages uh, as well. Mm. But you're saying to me that people are, are ringing up and specifically asking for those train packages? 
They are. I mean, that's always happened a little bit, but I think that there's there's definitely a hundred percent increase in that. It's, it's more than twice the um, previous specific inquiries. I think there's also a keenness in the industry to just let people know also who don't know. So actually, when people call in and they're looking at booking a regular ski holiday, when there's a train option, my reservations team, for example, will let them know that. Whereas in the past. It's not necessarily something that's been uh, on the radar of sort of mainstream holiday booking. Now, I think that the travel companies themselves feel a responsibility to um, make sure everyone's aware they can do it that way if they'd like to. So you're actually saying that when people ring in, maybe they haven't asked about the train that you're throwing up a train travel option for them? Yeah, I mean, when when people are, are specifically wanting to book something, wanting something very specific, then obviously we help them get that booked. But quite often there's a trained version of that. So quite often you can literally, you know, whether you can choose your, your airplane from Manchester or Birmingham, or you can actually often also choose the train from London. Therefore, you, you're kind of you, you're actually promoting it actively, bringing it to their attention more than they come across it otherwise. Yeah, for sure. I think it's 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 part of our responsibility. If we want snow sports to continue to be successful in future, then it's part of our responsibility to make sure that they, it, it, you know that, that as many people as possible can do it as as environmentally friendly as possible. We've always had the same approach with um, promoting local business as well. So you know we we have a website with enormous traffic, and we list for free on our website all the local ski schools and masseurs and childcare and everyone in resort that's also part of supporting those communities in resort oh i mean that's really uh, good to hear uh, richard but it doesn't surprise me because actually long-term listeners may recall that richard was on the podcast uh, before we actually did an electric vehicle special it seems such a long time ago uh, now <laughs> because uh, i'd have to look it up it was probably about three years ago but you've driven out to the alps in electric vehicles several times mm, yeah we've been driving electric now for more than half a decade i think we're on our third electric car so we've kind of got used to the idea i think you know initially it felt like a novelty and always oh, it really hard and range anxiety and that kind of thing and i think just by driving electric all the time for half a decade with a family of four we've found that it's not difficult at all actually we drive to the south of france on holiday and to the alps skiing and uh, it's it's really no big deal i think when you drive electric you drive a little bit differently when you get up and go to drive to your ski trip normally you get up have your breakfast and then off you go and in an electric car you probably get up and off you go and then after two hours have your breakfast while it plugs in for half an hour and things like that but it's not actually taking any longer yeah, that's right. And, you know, I featured it uh, a couple of times on the podcast uh, previously, but I'll put a link to the special that uh, we did before, mm. um, because that might be interesting to people and a couple of the others. And, and otherwise, thanks very much, uh, Richard. And uh, you know, if your team at Snow Holidays, you know, keep pushing people onto the train, that is uh, really good. And so I wish you all the best uh, with that this winter. Yeah, for sure. We also have a resource um, listing all the hotels that have got charging in the car park. So give us a nudge if you want to drive down there electric too. So maybe I should put that in the show notes as well. That's brilliant, Richard. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Ian. So that was really interesting to hear from Richard there. Firstly, that more and more people are asking about train travel. But to me, and perhaps even more importantly, that when they call up the team at Snow, they're being prompted to consider train travel. So that's great. And keep up the good work, Richard. Uh, now, like Chemi, Warren Smith, instructor to the stars, as he's often known, has been working with Protect Our Winters. Last time I saw you, we were skiing together in Verbier on an amazing day. We were shredding. We yeah, were shredding. thank you very much for that. Um, really interested, we were actually chatting earlier in, uh, in the week about the uh, Protect Our Winters Carbon Literacy course. Yeah. Uh, and you've started doing that now, well, right? Ed- education is obviously what we do in the industry, you know, for ski technique. And the education side that I was desperate for was to learn more 
factual information about what is actually going on. So I, I love to preach about protect our winters, but my fear is always if I was challenged about questions yeah. to get it wrong and put yeah. the wrong message across or could devalue that brand and protect our winters, which is doing so much good work. So I've done two so far of the carbon literacy courses. They're two hours, two hours. I've got two more next week. Yeah. And I would say I'd learned more than more than 50% of what yep. I thought I knew. Right, so okay. it was at least half, but probably more, 60, 50, 60%. And that to me is like, it's equipped me with so much more information. And then the next two courses, I think it's the first educational course I've ever done where I'm actually excited about Tuesday that's coming up. <laughs> so I'm, it's really good. It's like, you cool. know. And is this part of, I mean, I think you're an ambassador for Protector Winters, I'm, I'm, I'm is that right? Because I'm an ambassador, but a lot of the other people on the course were ski instructors doing a CPD or a continued... Continue professional development, okay, I think it's called. Cool. Yep. And, uh, and it was interesting. But the, the great thing is, it's like all of us that are doing this, I guess if we can speak to 50 more people in a bar or whatever, just chatting about this stuff, yeah, it's just spreading the word. And I think actually the carbon literacy course, it, it would be something that be, could become an interesting thing that people that appreciated the fact they're allowed to go skiing and the luxury of skiing, kind of it almost feels wrong to not do a carbon literacy hmm. course. That would be something that I think would be a great thing to aspire to for many skiers. Cool. Well, I mean, uh, people can find out more about it on the uh, Protect Our Winters uh, website. I'll put a link in the show notes. That's brilliant, Warren. Thanks, Thanks very man. much. Um, regular listeners will recall from episode 183 that Protect Our Winters recently launched their Send It for Climate campaign. I checked in with the marvellously named Dom Winter to see how it's going. Okay, I'm with Don Winter, who's head of programmes for Protect Our Winters. We just had a really interesting panel in there at uh, Listex. And you are updating us on the uh, the Send It for Climate campaign, which yeah. uh, a campaign which uh, Lindsay told us about in episode, I can't remember, but I'll put a link into the show notes. I just wondered how that's going. Yeah, it's going really well so far, I think. So it's been running for about a month now, aside from a little preview, sneak preview we did at the UCI World Championships, where it went well, uh, up in Scotland. Uh, since we've been running it in lots of uh, retail stores and through brand partners and so on. So uh, they're in all uh, Planks deliveries, it's in Patagonia stores, all Ellis, Ellis Brigham stores. Um, check our website for the places you can pick them up. You can also do a virtual version. So uh, there's physical postcards everywhere, there's virtual postcards everywhere. Um, and yeah, really we're delivering it to uh, the top political parties to ask for more ambition on climate change. And, and I believe you've, uh, you know, had quite a you know, reasonable breakthrough recently because you've had meetings at, you know, a high level, right? Yeah, definitely. So uh, as a result of the kickoff of the campaign, we had a chance to meet with the shadow climate minister, who is Kerry McCarthy. Uh, so we had a great meeting with her in Westminster uh, with Manon Carpenter, uh, like ex-Downhill World Champion, and uh, a... Uh, brand representative as well and that meeting went really well in sort of introducing our concept of, of what we're doing and how. Harry McCarthy went really well and then towards the end she sort of as an offhand comment mentioned that she has always wanted to go mountain biking so uh, the plan is that we're going to take her mountain biking with Manon Carpenter uh, at some point in the near future. Cool and that will introduce her a little bit more to the outdoor community which is you know who you're uh, representing get her to understand a little bit more about how strongly that community feels about it. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, if people aren't uh, getting out there in the outdoors, it's harder to see that change and yeah, yeah. Showing, showing the strength of feeling in this outdoor community. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, take her mountain biking and who knows, hopefully we'll be able to take a politician skiing soon too. <laughs> right, that's brilliant. Thanks very much, Dom, uh, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Ian. 
So that's a really positive way to finish off a great week. It is going to be different in 2024, though, and I spoke to the MD of Raccoon Events, Natalie Davis, to find out more. Great. Well, I'm delighted to be standing with Natalie Davis just now. You're the uh, managing director of uh, Raccoon uh, Media, and you organised all of the shows. And I think there is um, some big news in respect of the National Snow Week for next year, for 2024. That's correct. So currently this week, as it stands, we have a Birmingham show and a London show happening this weekend and next weekend. And these events, well, they're absolutely fantastic. They, uh, we've sort of tested the market and what we have decided for next year is to, rather than having two medium-sized events, we're going to have one phenomenal, absolutely mega event and that's going to be in London next year. So National Snow Week will still consist of lots of fun, engaging pop-up events around the country and then uh, the London Snow Show will be the major event. And that will be the culmination of it. So will if we're talking about National Snow Week, will that London show be the end of that week? Yes, that's correct. And what are the dates? Do we know the them already? The dates are the 19th and 20th of October at London Excel. Right, OK, and, and then uh, the week prior to that will be when we see things going on at snow domes exactly. and snow centres and stuff like that. Cool, I know it's very early, that's like a whole year away, so uh, I guess we'll uh, keep you tuned with whatever those activations are going to be. Absolutely, and throughout the year we'll be doing lots of fun sort of updates on our website and through social media. Cool. That's brilliant, Natalie, thanks very much. No problem at all. So it's definitely a shame there will only be one show in 2024 and that it will only be in London. But I fully get it's a commercial decision. The idea of National Snow Week was to make it simple for exhibitors to commit to two weekends. But many of them, they were only interested in being at London. I wouldn't say XL is the most charismatic venue in the world, but it's definitely easier to get to now the Elizabeth Line has opened. And the London show, especially on the Saturday, had a real buzz to it. It felt busy, like a proper show. Now, I'd say what they really miss and what I hope they can bring to it for next year is a real centrepiece. Now, listeners might remember the days of the shows at Olympia and Earl's Court and even Battersea, which featured riders throwing tricks on quarter pipes and big air kickers. And to me, it's something like that the show needs to capture the imagination, not just of the public, but you know specifically all those kids who could be looking up and wanting to emulate Britain's park and pipe stars. And of course, there was good entertainment at the shows. Chemi, Ed, Scott Penman, Todd, they all did a great job with their interviews and keeping the stages busy. And I'm pretty confident people enjoyed the train sessions I led. And on the Sunday of both shows, uh, the Ski Podcast Live sessions were also well attended. And I'd really like to thank Mike Richards, Katie Bamber, James Wilcox, Catherine Murphy and Tristan Kennedy for joining me on these panels. They weren't live as such but if you'd like to find out about skiing in japan turkey iraq paydajex uzbekistan and abruzzo take a look in the show notes and you will see links to previous interviews i've done with these experts now i enjoy all feedback about the show i like to know what you think especially about our features so please do contact me on social at the ski podcast or by email at the ski podcast at gmail.com what was really great about the shows though was a chance to meet so many of our listeners IRL, as Tim Woolwood put it. I'd like to thank Matt, Vix, Simon, Andrew, Mary and Ollie for coming up to say hello and for your kind words. Um, we've also had more feedback since the last episode, some of it via the Snowheads website. Vic said, the ski podcast panel with E&M retrain travel to the slopes was very interesting. Uh, Wigman said, the ski podcast panel stuff was excellent and thought-provoking. Els P said, really enjoyed the train travel uh, session. Uh, Tim sent me an email saying I recently discovered the ski podcast and I've been binge listening. I'm impressed by the engaging content and the captivating discussions on all things skiing. Uh, so thank you very much for that, Tim. 
And Inside Morsley on Twitter said, We can't wait for the new season to kick off, but first there's a little matter of the National Snow Show and to meet someone who's not only got us through COVID, but all the months in between. Ian Martin from the Ski Podcast, a total legend. Well, that is very kind of you. And I don't know even if we did meet because that looks like an alias, but uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Finally, Andrea Dalton said, just managed to catch up on the latest episode. Fab to hear uh, from Al. That's Al Morgan. Always love listening what he has to say. Uh, and me as well, uh, Andrea. So finally, if you like the Ski Podcast, there are three things you can do to help us. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. And thanks to David for that. And you can book your ski hire within support rent using the code ski podcast. There are now 188 episodes of the podcast, 142 were listened to in the last week, and that is amazing, but we have so much content, it just makes sense. So just go to the Ski Podcast, have a look around, we've covered so many different topics, I'm sure you can find one that's of interest to you. Uh, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Intersport for sponsoring the show. I'd like to thank all the very many people who contributed to this episode, as well as Babsy from the Mountain Trade Network and Stephen and Kate from Raccoon Events for giving me the opportunity to speak at the different events during National Snow Week. Finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye.